Welcome, travelers. I'm Lee Wanika. And I'm Josh. And this is Tabletop Journeys, where we will be your humble guides along the journey to RPG adventures. Welcome back, everybody. And here we are with part two of our breakdown of the rogue subclasses from D&D 5th edition. We made it through a bunch of them earlier. We talked a lot about our mechanical and our playability uh, questions and feelings on uh, several of the uh, the subclasses. We made it all the way through the Player's Handbook, made it most of the way through, through Xanathar's and through Sword Coast. Um, so we're going to continue our work now. To remind everybody, the way we're ranking... Our subclasses are based on four metrics. One, their mechanics and how they support the flavor. Two, the flavor itself. Three, whether or not we have played or want to play these characters. And four, wild card. Just something about this class that sings or doesn't sing to us as individual, as players. The way we've been holding our discussion, we're largely talking about the subclasses from the player perspective versus the DM perspective. Yeah, for sure. And I think as we continue our subclass discussions, we're going to maintain that. We're going to come at this as players. Yeah, absolutely. We are players. We are also storytellers and DMs, but we are players also. Yep. And I think that if we look at some of the subclasses from last episode, Thief, Assassin, I'm looking at you. I think both of us said these are classes that are not, they are not good guys. And if I want to play the hero, they're not who I'm going to play. The other side of that coin is that the Thief and the Assassin as leveled NPCs are fantastic. Oh, so much flavor. If we looked at these and maybe years to come, we may look at them again from a DM perspective. I think you may find some of these rankings change greatly. Absolutely. Um, I think an assassin is a fantastic foil. What a great mid-level lieutenant or boss uh, to face your party. And, and so on and so on. A low-level rival to a party would be they get a thing, a thief steals a thing. <laughs> from that <Exactly. laughs> you know and the hunt to get it back great things um but, but moving right <laughs> moving on so let's let's talk about uh, another one from xanathar's uh and this is a subclass that i uh i very much put in kind of the same category as the mastermind from a uh from a rules as written point of view and this is the inquisitive i really want to like this class um, but I think that the downsides in their abilities compared to other subclasses aren't outweighed by the benefits of this subclass. I think that there are, you know, I think that there's a lot of potential in this class as the, I, I mean, I, I've, I just wrote one actually not that long ago for, uh, for a one shot that I'm writing as a, kind of like a crime scene investigator they are an inquisitive, right? And I think that that's absolutely kind of where this is coming from. Uh, and they have some other stuff that goes along with them too. But man, having to play a rogue that has to have wisdom as a high, as if if it's not going to be your number one stat, it's got to be your number two, based because every ability for this subclass is based on wisdom. That is, that's a tough ask. And it's really going to limit 
the other rogue abilities that in theory, if you're playing this character as a rogue, you want the rogue abilities. <laughs> so, yeah. uh, you know, having to go ahead and have a high wisdom is going to, is going to compromise some of the benefit that you get from that. No doubt. So let's, let's be honest. If you're playing the inquisitive and I love this class from a flavor aspect, I think it's mechanics drop way below many of the other subclasses we have and, or will look at definitely will look at, but certainly that we have looked at. I think the Inquisitive benefits greatly from a really careful selection of feats. I think you pick the right feats that allow a plus one to a stat and you put that stat into wisdom and then the stuff that comes with it and you've got to win. I think that's kind of where you need to go from a statistical standpoint, your best role better be in, in decks because, Hey, you're rogue. There's going to be a rogue. Yeah. Yeah, and, and Dex is the most important stat in the game. No questions there. That's just a known fact. But your number two had, like Josh said, had better be wisdom. Yep. And, and you better find ways to pump your wisdom. I think you can get away with only having a three in your decks. I think you yep. can get away with that. Yep. But your wisdom for this subclass almost needs to be slightly better. Yep. You need your decks good enough to survive and land hits. You yep. need your wisdom high be exceptionally yep. successful yeah and, and even though this subclass comes with insightful fighting i don't think that this subclass is a martial subclass you're not if if this subclass gets into a fight at level three that that's not where this subclass is going to be best it's absolutely not where this character is going to benefit is going to be as a character that's with a martial subclass Imagine a, a, a inquisitive ranger sniper duo. Yep. So you've got an inquisitive with some ability to go ahead and see at distance and say, I'm going to monitor them. I'm going to watch them. Okay. Ranger with true shot hit right there. That's where you want to hit for maximum. I mean, that's, that's where this character, this, again, you, you talked about the sidekick uh, with the, with the swashbuckler. Yeah. That's where this subclass is going to absolutely. Uh, uh, this is be a, a fantastic support character or a character built for a very specific yep. type of campaign. I played the Adventure League. I played Dragon Heist. An Inquisitive would have been exceptional in that campaign. Yep. How exceptional Inquisitive would have been in the follow-up the, where you're going into the dungeon underneath Waterdeep? Eh, much less right you know so i think definitely inquisitive has its significant limitations yeah. i think it operates best as part of a multi-class build uh, yep. look, if i'm building batman i'm looking at this as being probably a component i don't know how i would do it i've seen different builds build batman different ways yep. but this would be a good component for something like that but regarding well, the inquisitive sorry. yeah, how, yeah. Did you, how did you rank the inquisitive uh, so Inquisitive was very middle of the pack for me. It was number five out of nine. Um, and so it was really middle of the pack. And where it lost its points was in its mechanics. I had a lot of concerns about the mechanics of this character. And they, they were there are three that I can think of off the top of my head. So if you compare um, Steady Eye, which is the ninth level ability for the Inquisitive, to uh, things like Super Sneak from the Thief, both of them had a really big mitigating factor to them in that they only get that ability if they choose to take half of their movement. Yep. If I'm playing an inquisitive who is not a martial character, 
I cannot always afford to only take half of my movement. That's a really, that's a really big negative. So that was one. Now, second one, uh, we talked about with the assassin getting death strike at level 17. If you compare that to eye for weakness at level 17, eye for weakness sounds like it's fantastic. Like, Hey, eye for weakness, you're going to get an additional 3d6 to your sneak attack at level 17. Sounds great on paper until you realize that a 17th level rogue has 96 sneak attack. So 3d6 is only an additional 30% if you include the base weapon damage, right? So if it's a rapier and I'm d8 plus four or three or whatever, plus 96 versus plus 12d6, that's only like a, like a 25% increase as opposed to death strike for the assassin, which it doubles. Right. It doubles your damage. Effectively, that is only a huge benefit if you crit. Three yep. dice, if yep. you crit, is important. Right. That's and if you Exactly. And if you need, I mean, think about it too, 3d6, the average roll on 3d6 is going to be nine. So yeah, if you need that additional 10 points of damage, cool. But boy, I'd rather play an assassin that potentially gives me, well, let's see. So I've got 96, so that's 27 plus a five on my D8. So that's, I'd much rather those extra 30 points of damage as opposed to my extra 10 points of damage. Yep, absolutely. And that's level uh, 17. So um, I thought, you know, it's like, it's, it's like the power sounded good on paper, but we're actually underpowered. I think that is more a factor of something that happens in 5e with many subclasses, not just this one. I think many of the level 17 uh, abilities are, many of those ribbon abilities or capstone uh, subclass abilities are very lackluster for yep. where they all sound cool until yep. you're actually there and realize how little they matter. Yep, um, absolutely. That's not unique to this one. So while it counts against it because it is what it is, it is something that I acknowledge happens for a lot. I ranked it as six. So I'll yep. also middle of the road. Back, yeah. It's something that I'm interested in playing. Look, I'm not going to play Dragon Heist again. But if a DM says to me, hey, I'm going to do a game in a royal court of a big city and I'm going to have all these people and there's going to be a murder mystery, I wouldn't mind playing this in that game. I think it would give me a number of great ways to interact. I think playing Commissioner Jim Gordon would be awesome. Another Batman reference. But um, <laughs> let's be honest, Gotham went four seasons and it wasn't just because of the kid who was playing right. Bruce Wayne. Largely, that was on the backs of how cool it is to play the guy investigating. We don't have, what do we have? 45, 80 some odd seasons of Law and Order because cop stories are not cool. Right. <laughs> right. Exactly. You know, no, fair enough. Yeah. Being a detective is awesome. Sherlock yep. is awesome. Oh, so Playing a, a, the ability to play a character that can lean into that. Awesome. Yep. Making it mechanically work. So you're good in all three pillars. That takes a little effort. Let's jump right in with the scout. The scout is one of my favorites of the subclasses. And in fact, the next three subclasses that we're going to talk about are the three subclasses that I ranked one, two, and three out of the out of the rogue uh, uh, the rogue family here. It is it is tough to find a subclass of any other class which can flat out replace another class in its entirety. And with the scout, I think we've got that. So from Xanathar's, uh, the scout is a better class than the ranger is in in dnd fifth edition after level three i will make that conceit that it's it's after the the scout 
um, skills really start to go ahead and, and come in. For levels one and two, uh, no rogue is going to go ahead and, and be able to touch uh, any of the ranger abilities. But by the time you can pick up the scout subclass, and as it progresses, it's going to be better than the ranger overall. You're going to gain more diverse attacks uh, than you will, and you'll be doing more damage than uh, your ranger will especially when you start talking about the ability to add in your sneak attack modifier, this is a subclass which is going to be more diverse than your ranger is. I fully agree. In fact, I th think you're cheating and reading my show notes. Well, we've said this before. Like anybody that's listened to our show is not going to be surprised when we say, hey, scout is better than ranger. Like I think we've yeah. said this before. Yeah, th this is not new information. My notes very clearly and specifically stated I have had so much fun with this subclass and I look forward to playing another. Uh, I can tell you for a fact that I would rather play a scout every day than a ranger any day based on fifth edition prior to Tasha's. There are some things I want to try out with Tasha's. So yep. I'm going to say, leave this open. I think they've made a lot of good fixes, solid yep. fixes. Ranger is now playable in my opinion. Yep. So I want to play that to figure it out. But based on what was in the player's handbook and Xanathar's and Sword Coast, there is no doubt in my mind that Scout was far superior. Jumping right in, I got to say, speaking to Scout, I have a long history with the Scout class. Going back to second edition, when the, the Complete Thieves books first came out, the very first kit that I played in that game was the Scout kit. There's a reason I played the Scout kit. I played in a game where the DM said, decide what you want to be then roll your stats. Your stats are natural as they roll. Second edition had level limits or limits. If you didn't have certain stats, you couldn't be certain classes. Yep. I wanted to be a ranger. I didn't roll well enough to be a ranger. In fact, I rolled so poorly. The only thing I could be was a thief. I took the scout kit because that allowed me in a very background fashion to be a ranger. Like my character told people in game, he was a ranger. Oh, wow. And I played that his entire life. Now, we played that game in second edition. We later on updated things like somewhere around seventh or eighth level to, to third edition. And I played that into 3.5. And that was a character I played. Actually, my longest running character was that character. And uh -huh. I, to this day, there are players who didn't know my character sheet who thought I was playing a ranger or a paladin the entire time. Yep. And there, not, nothing doing. I was a scout and I was good at it. Fifth edition has done things to the Ranger class, which have not been admirable in my opinion. I think that when we get into our discussion about the Ranger class, like the one we're having today about the Rogue class, I think that we will uncover uh, a lot of uh, the reasons behind that. Without a doubt. I mean, right, right in my notes, the very first thing that I said is that this subclass is better than the Ranger class, period. Yeah. Looking at the, uh, the core criteria that we're discussing... I can tell you the scouts mechanics, fantastic. They bloody well support the flavor yep. of this class. Absolutely. In ranked every possible way. Yeah. Ranked at second in, in of all the classes in terms of its mechanic flavor combination. As far as the flavor, what else could you ask for? This yeah. is a scout. This is a great class. Yep. This is what you want. I honestly think if I want to play the person who is the sniper, this is the class and subclass I would play. Granted, an assassin has better um, mechanics for the critical hit. Yep. But I think this is a better class for getting into the places, certainly in the natural environment. Yep. And this allows you to play the good guy. Yep. 
Absolutely. Without playing against tight. And then I don't want to linger too much on it, but I think we've already made it very clear from a wild card standpoint, oh, we're right. all about it. And have, yep. as far as having, having played and wanting to play, oh, very much, very yes. much yep. yes. I, I want to play another. Yep. <laughs> So we're going to leave Xanathars finally after talking about the four rogue subclasses that were in Xanathars. Uh, and we're going to start talking about the new subclasses that are in Tasha's Cauldron of Everything. And the one that we're going to start with, they've got style, they've got grace. We're talking about the Phantom, which of all the subclasses that were in here, I ranked them number one. This was my favorite subclass within the rogue family. That really says something about what... Uh, Tasha's has done to the rule sets that are coming out there that some of our favorite subclasses are the ones that have come out most recent. But if we want to talk about just the support for a subclasses narrative flavor support in their mechanics, the phantom has it in spades, the way that every power complements the backstory to a phantom. The, the, the death trinkets that they can get and they can go ahead and burn those for additional spirit abilities and things like that. I mean, this, this class is like chef's kiss. For me, th this was the biggest surprise to come out of Tasha's for me. I did not go into, I did not flip open that book. Actually, I had it digitally a few days before I had the physical book, but I did not start looking at that book thinking this was going to be the class I wanted. I was waiting for the next one we're going to talk about. I wanted the next one we're going to talk about. I was convinced that was going to be the subclass for me out of that book and probably overall. But then I read this and at first read, I was like, this is amazing. I'm like, it can't possibly be that good. Can it? I read it again. Yeah. It was that good and better. And so what I can tell you is that this has got amazing mechanical strength. They support the flavor. The flavor itself is spot on. I think of that. I think I refer to it as the, the edge Lord with a dagger at some point uh, earlier. This is it perfectly. And again, I like to play heroes. I think this lets you play an edge Lordy hero that has very unique and interesting mechanics, especially if you consider where it's coming from. That's awesome. And it's just, wow, this was a character that at the end of the day, I must play. Like I am actively looking for either a one shot. I've avoided building it because I like to build characters with a game in mind more so I can pick the right backgrounds to go with it. But I want to build this character and I want it for a game Ahora. Yep. For those who don't speak Spanish, now. Now. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so many fabulous things about this class. Whales from the Grave is a fabulous ability. Tokens of the Departed, a fabulous ability. Ghost Walk. And again, so on brand for the for the narrative web that they weave around this subclass. They are all on brand in, in a way that a lot of the other abilities tied to subclasses sort of weren't you know like i'm I, i'm looking at the inquisitive and it's like one of the big pieces of feedback i had for the inquisitive is that the downsides to their abilities didn't make it narratively uh, didn't make it mechanically sound 
when you consider them with the benefits, right? Their, their abilities weren't as good as others and their benefits weren't as, and their benefits weren't good enough. So um, yeah, hands down the phantom, all about it. Like I want that class more than anything else. And I think an interesting factor and part of um, why I ranked it as one of my number, one of my top uh, wild cards was this fact. Other things can benefit greatly from a dual class or in some cases may need a dual class. I spoke earlier about the mastermind. That's something that I actually have a plan to dual class fighter battle master with because I think they will work pair nicely together. This doesn't require a dual class. Like, why would you ever? No. Why would you ever? No. Yeah, I mean, you don't need anything else. This gives you everything you need. And how can you not rank that your number one thing? Yep. If it needs nothing else, it gives you everything you want mechanically. Yep. And it has more flavor than the best gumbo and crawfish boil in New Orleans you can ever imagine. Yep. This is the real deal you want to play a rogue you want to know what playing a rogue is like or can be like with everything in your favor when you roll that first d20 or you roll six and seven d6s for sneak attack damage it means something phantom is what you need absolutely A, a phantom would be a great character in a one shot I think more than some of the other subclasses that we've been talking about, it'd be absolutely awesome for flavor text uh, for a flavor to have this dark rogue that can just do these spooky things in a one shot. I think that the next class that we're going to talk about from Tasha's is probably the best subclass in the rogue family from a progression point of view. And that's the soul knife hashtag soul, soul knife. knife. So much better. You do that so much better than I do. It's amazing, um, <laughs> but man. The Soul Knife was number two on my list. This is and and really when I say number two, I mean the Phantom was number one and the Soul Knife was one B. It was just a smidgen behind the Phantom, and they together were light years ahead of all the other subclasses in in the Rogue family. And the the Soul Knife is not quite as powerful as the Phantom. And they have other nice things that that really support their character. Like the teleportation ability, the ability to go ahead and throw one of your spectral daggers and teleport away. Significant, so over significant distances, I may add, is what you, you roll a D10 and it's 10 times that distance or a D6 and it's 10 times that, what, however, whatever it is. It's a significant distance. You can just tell. More than you're walking. More than you're walking, right. And that is absolutely fabulous. And I really, the reason why I say that this is great from like a, a progression point of view is because so many of their powers are weighted on their proficiency bonus, which I thought was a really, really nice way to reward players who are playing a soul knife uh, for the long for the long term. So not only are they weighted so much on their proficiency bonus, but also your psionic energy dice just get bigger and bigger and more powerful as time goes on. Soul knife is a campaign character. I think there are campaigns. And in my head, when I read uh, the Phantom, there were campaigns that I want to build for it. But soul knife is campaign ready. As long as your DM is down with psionics, you've got that's a big if. That's a big that, if. that's a big if because there are DMs out there. I can tell you that as long as you've got a DM who's down with that, the style of play you get to engage in is going to be awesome. And it has so many cool so awesome. I mean, it's just all the things you want. It's all the goodies. You know, like I said, I was surprised, and it's because of the ranking system that we use that Phantom actually ranked slightly higher. And again, it was small 
yeah. the difference between the two. But I, it, it, it's that good. Interestingly enough, Josh, when you mentioned that you ranked them overall as your as your highest, uh, they actually split for me. I actually had Soul Knife listed as four, which surprised the heck out of me. But part of the reason is for that when I considered have I played or have I not played, I actually ranked higher the ones that I've played multiple times. Yep. Because the fact that I went back to the well tells me something about that. Yep. So because I have not yet had the opportunity to play the Phantom or the Soul Knife yet, they didn't get those extra benefits of having been yep. played multiple times. And that's yep. kind of that that's why I kind of split. I had it, I had Soul Knife as my number four, and only because number two tied for two. And two yeah, and yeah, yeah. tied. Um, so, I mean, it, and they were all the way I kind of looked at it in my head, they were all, uh, very, very tight. It was a tight race between my top four. Yep. Um, they were very solid. Yep. Um, I, I think that if you look, um, in terms of how we were comparing these, the difference between the phantom and the soul knife and the way that they were written is that the, f- the flavor text of the soul knife is superior to the flavor text of the phantom. Yeah, I think a lot of it has to do with how I view psionics and kind of kind of a lot of the hooks that even just in like the subclass description that they gave for the soul knife, you know, could you have been like the tortured youth who just kind of had your psionic ability emerge in a point of stress and stuff like that. It's a really interesting flavor narrative hooks. So slightly better than the flavor text for the phantom. And again, the only reason why I say slightly better is because in the point system that I used, I didn't assign two subclasses the same points in any one category. So if, <laughs> if soul knife was going to be a 10 in its flavor text the best that the phantom could be was nine and so i made that decision and said you know what the flavor text of the soul of the soul knife is a little bit more interesting to me than it was for the phantom where the phantom made up for its points is that i feel it better married the mechanics with its flavor text than the soul knife did and so they basically traded back and forth you know of of the potential 19 points that either category had gotten in those in those two categories both of them got 19 one of them got a 10 and one and a nine and the other and the other one got nine and one and ten and the other so it's yeah. like they, they basically and it was both in both in their flavor and the way that their mechanics married with their flavor and and in terms of my my desire to play them both of them tied for uh, or they were they were number two and three behind the swashbuckle because the swashbuckler is my favorite class. So yeah, no, 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 no. Fair enough. Honestly, with my top four, and I and I'm sure it's the same for your top four. At any point, if somebody said, "Hey, this is the only character we had left," either of us would be like, "Heck yeah!" Yep. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And like absolutely. So I think you know we're talking shades of difference. I think absolutely. I think this is a point where I might also add there is no such thing as a bad subclass there will always be a game or a DM or a player that any subclass in those hands can be made great. And I can tell you having played in other games, the bad character or the bad class and not bad as in good, bad, but like less than optimum. I've been able to one, have fun two add benefit to my group. The question is, did I have as much fun or did I add as much to my group as I could have or should have? Yep. And I think that's where we have variances and that's where ranking videos come from. Any of these things, look, I would rather role play that thief, which does not excite me, than not role play. Yep. So Absolutely. let's be clear. The yep. worst on this list is still worth putting a character that has Lewanika as the player's name on yeah. it. Yeah. It, it, it's 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 still a character in the world's best tabletop game 
Like, let's be yep. honest here, right? Yeah, um, fair enough. So, so let's, we're about ready to go ahead and wrap up here. Let's go ahead and go down one through nine, how we ranked them all. So I ranked the Phantom as, as number one. Wh- which one was your number one? My number one was the Phantom. Okay. All right. Um, and then I had Soul Knife as number two. And I had a tie for two and three being yep. the Mastermind and the Swashbuckler. Interesting. Okay. Yep. So I had the swashbuckler and the scout tied at three. So it sounds like we've, we're pretty similar uh, in terms of those. Um, what did, what was your number four? My number four was the soul knife. The soul knife. Okay. Yep. So our top four are all the same, right? Yep. It's the, it's the scout, the phantom, the soul knife, uh, except uh, I had the scout and you had the mastermind. Right. Yep. Okay, cool. So what, what did you have? What did you have after that? Number five scout. Scout. Yep. So um, my uh, my next one after that was the assassin, and again that uh, I just I really I really thought the, the the character of that subclass was really really great. Following that, I had the inquisitive. I also had the inquisitive. Following that, and after that, I had the arcane trickster. Uh, after that, I had the mastermind, and so now I'm st- I'm starting to go ahead and catch up. So that's yep. yep. And so you haven't used the assassin yet, and I haven't had the arcane trickster. Correct. Yep. And then. Um, and- my final two tied uh, as far as the way I ranked and used my numbers. Cause I think we did slightly different numbers. We did. We're yep. going to fix that for future episodes. I think we'll <laughs> I like what you did by just ranking them in numbers. I think yep. uh, like one through nine yep. or whatever. I think that's going to be the way I'm going to go in the future for uh, eight and nine. I tied with assassin and thief, but if I were to give an edge, I would say I would use the wild card to decide that edge. And yep. I would, definitely say that the assassin would edge out the thief um however that's a ranking issue the truth is i would rather play the thief than the assassin in a game and that's kind of my thing like i said i want to play the hero yeah redemption arc or otherwise i want to play the hero so assassin just doesn't speak to me yep so my bottom two were the arcane trickster and the thief um and again i think that the thief is basic is your your basic building block rogue character and so as a result, it's a little milk toast. It's just kind of, it's very, there's nothing flashy about it. There is nothing that's going to stand out about it. Um, it's not the kind of character that I necessarily want to play. And honestly, that's where the Arcane Trickster also lost a lot of points. There's nothing wrong with the Arcane Trickster. It, it has some things that are not like, you know, it's spell thief ability is fantastic. It's just not a character that I want to play. Like like you were saying earlier, I'd much rather multi-class and play a thief sorcerer or a ranger sorcerer or something like that. Something that that gives me uh, better magic and better skills than something that tries to be this middle road between the two. Absolutely. I find, and we'll probably come back to that theme when we talk about other classes and their third caster or subclasses. I think that's something that's going to come up again. There's usually a better or certainly a different way to, to accomplish those thematic goals. Yep. With that, I think we've covered everything for the road. Uh, I just want to say in, in closing, uh, we started this whole road journey by saying that rogues was my personal favorite class. It's the thing I love. Uh, what I didn't say at the beginning, what I'll say now is that whenever I play a new tabletop game, whatever that is, I seek out the rogue-like class, and I always play that first. Part of the reason is there's no better way to understand a game than to be involved with the skills in the game. And because of that, you play the class that can get the most skills. Yep. Rogue. 
I love being a skill monkey. I love having that stuff, that ability to interact with all three pillars of the game. Rogue is typically good enough in combat to work in that environment. It is typically great at exploration, depending on where you go with your subclass. And it is almost always exquisite in the uh, in the social aspect of the game. Yep. Because of that, it's almost always where I start. All right. Well, let's go ahead and wrap up there. Uh, let's go ahead and update everybody uh, where you can find us, leave us to leave us comments or to interact with us on today's episode or any of the other episodes that you listen to. Uh, so the easiest way is to go to the website, www.ttjourneys.com. You can go there. You can see all the previous podcasts. You can see all the blog entries. We're also really active both on Twitter at TT Journeys and on our Facebook group. Just search for Tabletop Journeys and you'll find it there. Anything else, uh, if you want to go ahead and email us, we now have a new email address. You can still use the old Gmail address or you can email us at podcast at ttjourneys.com. Yes, we are really anxious to get more emails and be able to have those longer forum conversations with uh, those of you out there in the listening world. So please, please, please get a hold of us. Uh, let us know. As far as the Facebook page, I know that's the, the part of this that I do with the most. Jump on, join the conversation, ask us questions, and respond to questions. If you, if you like one of, the, one of the things that are up there, comment on it that Facebook group is designed to bring about questions. So as we get ready to do our next ranking, we're going to have some polls that go up ahead of our recording. That way we'll start to actually capture our audience thoughts on various uh, subclasses. We want them to rank them one through nine in this case as well. Yep. And we want to hear from you. What classes do you want us to do next? That sort of thing too. Yeah. What is next? That's that's a big question. A big there question. are 13 classes in, in D&D 5e. We've covered one of them. Sounds like there a are, year 2021 content. Yeah, there's uh, it, there are 12 more to go. All the classes are great. The question is, are all the subclasses great? All right. Finally, any of you that are listening to us on Stitcher, iTunes, Amazon Music, Google Podcasts, Spotify, anywhere, please, we would appreciate it if you like, subscribe, leave comments. We want to hear from you, but also we want to hear your feedback on the show and what are the things that you're liking. So please, if you take a minute, like and subscribe to the podcast wherever you happen to be listening to us. That way you can continue to get updates uh, every week. Remember, we're pushing out two, ep- two episodes a week right now. Every Saturday, we're pushing out one of these long-form episodes, like the one that you just listened to. And then every Wednesday, we're pushing out uh, what we call our side quests, those little side conversations that we have in the span of recording these episodes that uh, you guys don't normally hear. And also shout out to our folks on Audible. Uh, that's another one of our platforms that uh, yep. that we're we're on. So wherever you're getting your podcast, add us. And if you're not getting us on that platform, let us know because that tells us we need to be there. So yep, absolutely, <laughs> yeah. All right, thanks everyone for listening. As always, this has been Tabletop Journeys. And in the words of another traveler along our path, we bid you shade and sweet water.